0: Morning, Cornerstone. Uh, My name is Matt. I'll be doing the scripture reading for today, which is Daniel chapter 6. You can follow along in your own Bibles or on the screen behind me here. Daniel in the Lion's Den. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by in agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king, concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by an agreement to the king and said to the king, no, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den of where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, he who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and during the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The word of the Lord.
1: Another amazing rescue story. Yeah, it's chilly in here, huh? Decided I'm going to just keep my coat on. That's okay. Well, even if it's not okay, I'm going to still keep my coat on. (laughs) Because I see a lot of you have your coats on too. Yeah. Well, as we've seen, and we've been going through the book of Daniel, that there's this way that God shows up and rescues his faithful followers time and time again. But why does he do this? It's not only just to rescue them, but it is to show his glory to the powerful kings of the the empire. First, the Babylonian Empire with King Nebuchadnezzar, and then Belteshazzar, his uh, son, or at least his relative, and then now with Darius, we see. And so God is showing that he is king. He is able to do whatever he wants as the ruler of this universe, and his glory is Convinced to these rulers. So we see another statement written to the empire saying, Hey, this is a God who can deliver. So don't speak out against him. Otherwise, it's not going to go well for you. And so we see this. And I'm I'm not going to focus on this part of the story because there's another theme that has been running through the book of Daniel um, with his friends and Daniel specifically of his faithfulness. To the Lord God, which in a sense, the faithfulness that we have to God, and we see in Daniel here and his friends in the story of the fiery furnace, but that faithfulness, the way they live, kind of pre- prepares the, the atmosphere and the soil of God then being able to work his way and his glory and his power to be known by what happens to these people who are faithful to him and not willing to compromise. To the ways and the demands and the situations that they come up in. Because, especially in Daniel's life, we see faithfulness in this chapter six. Because it seems here that Daniel's habit of praying really got him into trouble this time, right? If he just did not pray when he, or at least closed the windows. So they can't see him, you know, because he opened the windows and then kneeled down. You know, it's like, okay, this is the decree. At least close the windows. You know, you could still pray in private. I mean, that's what most Americans do, right? You go into our closet and pray, right? We don't. Hey, I'm going to pray now. I'm open the windows, right? But uh, that's was Daniel's habit, and it got him into trouble. And and I was thinking through here uh, of the habits that we have. Some habits are healthy habits, and Some are not so healthy habits, right? If you're like me, you have some unhealthy habits. But uh, habits like washing hands, which is the pandemic really instilled that in us, right? To wash our hands when we come back from outside before we eat. Basically, we're washing our hands all the time or sanitizing them. That's a good habit. What about uh, biting fingernails? Whoops, I like this one. You recognize that guy? He bites his fingernails a lot. But uh, it's biting fingernails, we could say, is a bad habit or leaving the dishes unwashed. I'd say that's a bad habit. Uh, munching on snacks late at night, uh, that could be considered a bad habit. Or, or yelling at our kids, that is not healthy. Uh, cleaning the bathroom is a good habit, though I'm never this happy when I'm doing that ch- chore. Uh, washing our clothes, we could go on and on about different habits or chores, we say, but a chore is really a habit that we may not really want to do <laughs> because we add the chore to it. It's like a thing we've got to do. But the reason for these habits, we form habits, is really because of a need. We form a habit in our life because of a need. Now, it may be a perceived need, not a real need, or a real need that we have. And so we develop a habit. For example, uh, why do I pick and bite around my fingernails at times. I don't do it all the time. Well, why do I do that? Well, it's because the skin sometimes around my fingernails gets dry, and then it starts to flake off or come apart, and I feel like I need to help it. So I start picking at it and then, you know, pulling at it, and then sometimes you pull. I don't know if this happens. You pull, and then it gets into the real skin, and then, ow, it, yeah, it bleeds a little bit. Yeah, that's a bad habit. You know, I do that. But why? Because I feel the need to help the skin to come off there for some reason. And some reasons for habits are obvious, like for those who it may, we may know have had a heart attack and they've survived, and then they change their lifestyles because now they're much more aware of what they're eating, that they need exercise, where before the, the heart attack, they didn't care about those things. <laughs> but now they're changing their habits because they're much more aware. They're like, thank God I survived. You know, I don't want that to go through that again. And so they changed their habit. When I was in college, uh, I commuted to college, and I, my family rented a room out of our house to this other student that went to the same university. And he was also an engineering student, different year, And so um, when he started to live with us, our family, my dad, my mom, and I had to form a new habit because of a need he had. And so it was was really odd. So what would happen is when we would eat together as a family, we all would eat together, which is unusual now, I know, but we eat together. And every time we would eat with a spoon or a fork and it would, you know, you put it in your mouth, you get the stuff, and then you pull it out. Sometimes it would scrape against our teeth. And I see some of you wincing. But this guy would be like physical pain for him. He would sit there and he'd literally go, when he'd hear that. <laughs> and so it was, you know, hard to eat with someone when they kept going, ooh, you know, like this. So we, we really tried to change our habit to not cause this guy pain. And over the weeks of his staying with us, we worked at developing the habit of taking it out carefully without it touching any of our teeth. But, um, you know, we eventually built that new habit, but he was also building his tolerance because you know, it took a couple of weeks for us to do that, so you know, every once in a while, Ooh, you know, <laughs> and then we'd work at it. So it, we had that need there, and we built this habit, and we got pretty successful at not scraping it or bumping our teeth on the way out. So all this, just to say, so because we form habits in our lives around needs or perceived needs, Our habits really reveal what we think our needs are. So think of the habits in your life, or more importantly, what our hearts value in our lives. And so we form these habits to around this is important to me, and we form these habits. You know, in a sense, the habits of our heart reveal the focus, really, of our life. Now, I'm not talking about biting fingernails. No, I'm talking about these habits, really, that are about, in effect, the way we use our time, invest our time, or our money, or the things we're involved with, or things like that. See, the key to understanding the habits of our lives is asking the question, why? Why do I have this habit? Or, related, what, what need am I trying to meet or fill because of this habit that I have allowed to form or I intentionally formed in my life? You know, all of us have habits that are not healthy for us, physically or spiritually. And if these habits in them, themselves are sinful, then we're, we're, we're stuck because we can't, on our own, like make ourselves better. We're stuck in our sinful ways and only Christ Jesus, the good news is that he can free us of this because he is the transformer of hearts because our habits center from our hearts. And if our hearts are sinful, which they are, then we can't change our hearts. We might be able to adjust our behaviors a little bit, but our, uh, generally it's, it's rooted in our hearts and so only Christ is the hope we have for changing our hearts because our sinfulness resides in our hearts. Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 15 verse 19 saying for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. And so often in today's culture we try to blame everything on something else, especially for the evil we do. You know, it's it's my upbringing you know, it's my parents' fault. You know, <laughs> they made me this way. That, that's the worst. But that—that's we say that um, we blame our financial situations, maybe our environment. You know, it's my roommate. They, they caused me to do this and make me feel this way, um, or even the devil. Sometimes you ever hear that? Oh, the devil made me do it. I don't hear that people say that. I hear it in the news sometimes. Brothers and sisters, the devil cannot make you and I do anything because if we follow Jesus, we have the spirit of the living God, ruler of this universe in us. And so he has no power over us unless we offer and give him that power. So the devil then will try to tempt us to do evil, to act on a selfish desire. And then when we are unaware of that, we may fall to that temptation and be led astray. Our hearts and minds are where the spiritual battle exists in this this reality. And without the Lord Jesus, we have no way of winning that fight. So when we think of this, how did Daniel's heart shape his habits and then his habits shape his life? See, the habits of Daniel's heart are the key to uh, to answering this question. So, notice how Daniel was described or is described in verse 3 in our text. It says, Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Notice this word here, excellent spirit within him. Daniel had distinguished himself because of this excellent spirit. That was within him, as compared to the other high officials. This excellent attitude of heart was due to his faithfulness to the Lord God. We see this in chapter one, right? Immediately when they were there and they were being trained, they set themselves apart. He said, "No, could we not eat this food?" You know, in a sense, they were already Daniel and his friends were had this excellent attitude of following and being faithful to the Lord God, and the other leaders were greatly jealous of Daniel because of this excellent spirit that was in him and the results that it did for him. So look at, remember what verse four says. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. Now this is referring to faithful to the kingdom, the Persian empire. And no error or fault was found in him. You know, I think about this. Wouldn't it be nice to have some political leaders that we could say the same thing? We could find no fault in them, you know? And we would look and scour through their lives like they do for presidential candidates and find nothing, just faithfulness, you know, trustworthiness. I mean, this is because Daniel had integrity. And this flows from his life habits and his faithfulness to God. Integrity, what does that mean? Well, in one sense, it means an adherence to a moral principle or ethical standard. Um, So therefore, a moral character, a soundness of character. But also, even more so, integrity is like the quality of being whole, undivided. So practically, that means a person of integrity means that they are the same here in our community at church, They're the same if we saw them at school. They're the same if they're playing video games. They're the same if they're at work. They're the same if they're at home with their family. They're the same person. They're a person of integrity. All the pieces of their lives, they're the same. What you see is what you get. That's a person of integrity. There's no deception. There's no pretending in any shape, way, or form. It's because they are a person of integrity. They're together. They're whole. They're united. They're not dichotomized. We say, they're, you know, I'm one way at work because I have to be that way at work, but then I'm another way at church because, you know, you can't be that way at church because nobody would like you at church if you were that way, you know, and, and things like that. That's not integrity. Daniel's integrity sprang from his trust in the Lord God. And Daniel was the greatest example of integrity because even the enemies scoured through his life looking for something to point at and they couldn't find it you know daniel's integrity was from the lord god now if someone were to investigate your life in my life would they say we're a person of integrity or not In every sphere of our culture, business, government, education, sports, religion, we are in an integrity crisis. And the problem is, what's most concerning about this crisis is that the lack of integrity is no longer a surprise to us. Actually, we we expect it, that it'd be a lack of integrity. We are used to it, meaning we've become callous to this expectation, like, yeah, it's just the way things are, you know. Um, it seems that we expect that our politicians will not act according to what is right or what's best, but what will get them reelected. <laughs> so you know when the closer they are to the election, then they start uh, jockeying for that, what is going to appeal to their base. Um, we think it's OK, in a sense, to be a jerk when we're playing video games, to be aggressive and a uh, bully in video games and then be super kind and compassionate to those in need in the name of Christ. We don't see any problem with this. It's okay because that's just the way it is, right? Um, we think it's okay to be a bully and aggressive and almost um, trod over people at work because we've got to get things done. We've got to meet the deadline or do the proposal on time. But then at church, we're kind and we're considerate and compassionate and we think it's okay. It's just, we're not the same person. We think it's okay to be a follower of Christ and yet we continually to just disobey him and say uh, having sex outside of the marriage covenant. It's just, it's okay. We, we, we become to thinking that this, in this dichotomized way in our minds, and that is a sign of a lack of integrity because we're not integrated in our lives. We think it's not a problem and this is very sad if we think this way. You know, there's a story of a, about a pastor who preached a sermon on honesty one morning. And then the following morning, he was going to go to his office. So he took the bus, and this is when they had cash and change, and so he paid the bus fare. and the, the bus driver gave him some change, but he gave him way too much change. And he didn't know it until he sat down, and he was looking through his change, and he's like, oh, I got way too much change. I mean, I significantly, like gave me the wrong do- uh, long bill. Instead of a one, he gave me a ten. And so he was sitting there and he's like rationalizing in his mind. He's like, well, maybe this is a blessing from God, you know, to help provide for the money I need for the rest of the week. You know, this could be a gift to me. But then he also, as he thought about it, it just just bothered him. So he couldn't live with it. So on his way out, when it came to a stop, he stopped at the bus driver and he said, you know, um, you made a mistake. Uh, You gave me too much change. So he started to give him back the extra money. And the bus driver smiled and said, no, I made no mistake. Pastor, I was at your church yesterday and you preached on honesty and I was putting you to the test to see if you were gonna (laughs) walk the talk, you know. Integrity. Are we gonna be the same at church as we are on the bus in life? Do the habits of our hearts reveal that we are people of integrity or just the opposite? If we lack integrity, then people will often question our true intentions Because they will find it hard to trust us because they'll see that we're one way in some situations and then we're another way in another situation. So they just, it ingrains in them, hmm, I don't know if I can trust this person completely. But this was not the problem of Daniel at all. Even his enemies could not say that they couldn't trust him (laughs) because they knew if they were gonna get him, they had to do something against his faithfulness to his Lord God. And so we observe that Daniel also, because of his integrity, had influence. People trusted him. They saw his trustworthiness. The king saw his trustworthiness. Now, Daniel, we learn, is one of the three administrators over the Persian Empire. So he had great influence and power at this point. And we also learned that the king was planning to put him over the whole empire. So that's even more power and influence for Daniel. And his enemies were jealous of this. But the king was influenced by Daniel. We see this in verses 14 and 16 when the king tried to save Daniel, even though his own decree was going to put Daniel to death. But the king worked hard to try to save him. But because of the Persian uh, rule of law that once a law is made, you can't repeal it. Even the king can't repeal it. So he failed. And we see that even when Daniel's going into the lines, then the king asks that God would save Daniel. He, he really did not want to lose Daniel because of the influence Daniel had on him. When we think of our own lives, does the influence we have on others really point people to God or point to his glory in what's being done through him? Or does it really just point to ourselves and the glory of ourselves? What, what does the influence we have? Do we even have influence over people? You know, The Lord God had honored Daniel because his heart had worshipped him alone and no other gods, and he was faithful to that, even in a a pagan society like Babylon and then Persia, where they worshipped multiple gods. And we see this especially in his habit of prayer, because Daniel was a person of discipline, we could say. Now, this is so important to understand in the context of today's message, because discipline is just another name for an intentional habit that we form. It's an intentional habit. Discipline is another name for an intentional habit. Verse 10 of our text says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, so this is the decree of the king, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Anybody who knew Daniel knew that he'd pray three times a day. Because one, he did it in front of his open window. <laughs> but two, if I'm sure he'd be in a charge, he would schedule his day around these times of prayer. Because he knew he was totally dependent on the Lord God. Absolutely, even though he had this power and influence, he knew he needed to stay connected to the living God. He knew the consequences were going to happen when he would go and pray like he usually did after this decree was set out. But he did it anyway, because he needed the answer to the king, not the earthly king. The king of the Lord, the Lord God is King of overall. You know, Jesus had the regular habit of prayer too. We see this in Mark chapter 1 verse 35 it says very early in the morning while it was still dark Jesus got up left the house went off to a solitary place where he prayed Mark 6:46 After leaving them he went up on a mountainside to pray Luke 5:16 whoops back Luke 5:16 says but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed This habit this practice of prayer is not easy. It takes commitment. It takes concentration. It takes the willingness to, to go to the Lord and, and depend on Him just by the act of praying, saying, you know, you are God and I am your create, creation, your, your, your child in that sense, and I depend on you. You know, I found that, that prayer really helps with my memory because if I pray for one of you, then I remember you more. And it cements in my mind a little bit more about what I was praying for you about. So when I see you, then I remember that issue in your life. And I can talk to you about it. It just helps me because of I'm 56, I'm getting to a point in my life where I'm decreasing, where, uh, unfortunately, in the sense of my memory and my physical capabilities. But prayer really helps me connect with the Lord and then therefore it cements in my mind what God may be doing around me. It heightens my sensitivity to what he's doing. But you may be thinking, praying regularly, having a habit, what can I pray about? I'm going to run out of things to pray about. I mean, what do you pray about? Well, everything. You can pray about everything. Just think about your homework, your school, your family issues, the world. There's quite a few issues in the world, our community, election coming up this November, November. All these things, we can just talk to God about it. You know, it's really healthy to talk to someone about your day, how it went. It's kind of evaluating how things went. Well, we get to talk to the living God because of what Christ Jesus has done. He's made a way. He is the way for us to usher into the presence of God. Philippians 4, 6 speaks to this, saying, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. In everything, we present our requests to God. The Lord wants us to talk to him. It's not that he needs to know, because he already knows, but he knows it's good for us to connect with him again and again and again. Where it gets to be a point, if you came up in our Sunday school class today, Fiddler on the Roof, if you've ever watched it, who's seen Fiddler on the Roof? Awesome movie. Yeah, man, most of you are missing out. But check it out. Watch Fiddle on the Roof. It's about this guy, Tevier, and he just lives prayer. He's walking around doing his thing in the movie, and he's talking to God the whole time almost. It's, it's really what God desires to have, that communion with us. He's there, but as someone said, we're, we're just an arm length away from God. It's how far we push him away. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really up to us to connect with him because he's already made a possibility for him to connect with us through Christ Jesus. And this becomes more a habit of our heart than the more the Lord becomes a focus of our life. Because then the habits of the heart reveal the focus of our life. You know, we've lost our passion for a deep relationship with God. We spend our time and energy running around, doing this, doing everything, but investing time alone with the Lord. (laughs) And these are the upcoming announcements. (laughs) We'd like to hear a good sermon on the Word of God, hopefully. But it's really hard for us to regularly feed on the Word of God throughout the week. Just having a regular habit of ingesting the Word of God. This is the air I breathe, right? Living in His presence. The food we eat is the Word of God every day. You know, it only takes 30 seconds, which is the same amount of time to put on our shoes, to just Read one verse from the Bible every day. And you could use a uh, Bible app, a uh, Bible reading app like Version. And for example, this last Thursday's verse of the day was, uh, let's go back, I'm stuck, it's not working. It was Colossians 3.16 and it said this, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And you just read that. I don't even think that took 30 seconds. The same amount of time put on our shoes. If you just did that every day, it would help cement a truth of the word of God in our minds and our hearts for the day, if we did it in the morning before we started. Or do it at night when we go to sleep. We go meditating on that. In just one minute every day, we could actually read it and then write that verse out. Just write it out, which involves another sense, right? Touch. And so it might cement it more in our hearts and minds. Just one minute every day, build a habit. And then there's a handful of us in Cornerstone that read a chapter every day through a Bible reading schedule. And if you want and you're interested in that, that takes like maybe more than a minute, maybe a few minutes every day to read the word of God. Just what habits are we forming? What discipline are we building in our lives? It shows where our hearts are really focused. And if we struggle with these, then we're really, it's a, it's a spiritual battle. We're struggling to surrender our lives completely to Jesus Christ as Lord. And so if you struggle reading the scriptures or doing regular prayer or those things, that's just spiritual growth there. You just need to continue to surrender. Share that with somebody another brother and sister, and we can pray with you and talk to you about it as well. It's a struggle. It's, once you build this habit, it's a struggle to keep the habit. And so it's just a matter of ongoing surrendering to the Lord Christ. So when you look at your life and what your habits are, what do they reveal about your heart? Where is your heart? What do you value in life? What's the answer to that? What is your focus of life? Well, the only hope we have, brothers and sisters, is Christ Jesus. And I know most of you here will acknowledge that up here. But God doesn't really care about what's up here. He cares about what's in here. I mean, metaphorically, right? (laughs) We're all one person, but the heart is always what God cares about. Where is your heart? Is it for me or for something else? And that's what he really wants, is us to give him our hearts. Well, let's pray together. Father, we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that the only way to you is through him. By faith in him as Lord and Savior, and that response to his call to follow him in obedience. And so, Lord, we we pray that your spirit would well up and move us to take action, to put that faith that we have in action through how we build habits into our lives every day. And don't fool ourselves thinking that we are following you when really we're just saying we follow you and do our own thing. But Lord, you know our hearts, truly. We pray that you would help us as a community to see you burst forth in your glory in every aspect of our lives. We know this is ultimately where we experience the joy of the Lord in the midst of this chaos, of this reality. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.